with us to Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2. This is the uh, eighth day since Christmas, is it not? And eight days after the first Christmas, the Christ child was born, a significant event took place in his life, and that was the practice of every Jewish family. They would take the male child to the temple, and there he would receive his name. And as a part of that, the circumcision process would take place as well. And it was a very significant time in the life of a Jewish family, and of course, particularly the young male. There's some lessons we're going to learn from that, but uh, we have a child, Jesus, newly born, and there's some other significant people in this story at the other end of life. We have the beginning and really we have the end represented in the story that we're going to talk about this morning. And As we look into this new year, I am thinking, well, I am another year older and so are you. And that's the, the, the part of life that we share together is we can't remain static, can we? We have to move forward. Of course, how we move forward, we do get to choose. Some have spent absolute fortunes trying to maintain their youth. I, uh, I used to fear getting older. And I guess I've arrived at that middle-agedness where now I'm more afraid if I had to go back the other way. <laughs> I wouldn't want to get younger, would you? <laughs> I found this poem from an old preacher. He said, I can see with my bifocals. My dentures work just fine. I can live with my arthritis, but I sure do miss my mind. <laughs> Maybe you resemble that remark, huh? Well, rather than fearing the process of aging, we really ought to learn from those who have aged well, those who excel us. And... Um, I read about a fellow named Leslie Newbiggin, and at the time of this writing, he was 87. He had spent 35 years in India as a career missionary. He returned home to his native England, and he found that England had become much, as much or more a missionary in need of missionaries than India was. It had become a field that was hostile to the gospel. And in his retirement, he was about the age of 70, he sat on the board of his uh, denomination, a, a local council, and they were discussing what to do with a particular church in the downtown area that uh, was 120 years old in a slum area, and they were trying to decide whether to keep it open or to close it down because there was only 20 people there after all. And uh, the council wanted to close it. Newbigin couldn't bring himself to agree to that. And he told the council, if the church abandoned such areas in order to settle in the relatively easy circumstances of the suburbs, it would forfeit the claim to be a missionary church. And so the council agreed with him on one condition, that he go and he pastor that church. And he did. There are many stories like that. But I think the significance was, as that church grew and he impacted that community, his larger contribution took place after his retirement. Robertson Davies is another example. He was a proud, square-ribbed individual, flowing white beard. He wrote the book Fifth Business. 
and World of Wonders. The interesting thing about him is his first widely acclaimed book, Fifth Business, he wrote at the age of 57. And that initiated a 25-year, call it a home stretch, in which he did significant writing and speaking. I heard a story around Christmas of a gentleman who had turned 63 when he was a child. Some other kids were throwing dirt at him. Some of it went into his eye and caused him to go blind in one eye. And while he was doing Christmas shopping, he inadvertently ran into a post and regained his sight. It's his, his Christmas miracle. And he can see from that eye for the first time since his childhood. And for him, at 63, life is getting better. Can you agree with that? At the stage you're at? Is life getting better? And it doesn't really have so much to do with our outward circumstance as it does with our inward perspective. As we enter a new year, it really doesn't matter how old you are. We will all, as I've said, be another year older this year. <laughs> like it or not. But it's a reality that we cannot remain the same. Water left to itself will attain room temperature unless something is done with it. And we will too. <laughs> we need to be active pursuing something of a proper nature. We will either become more humble, more obedient people to our Savior, or we will become more self-serving and prideful people. One or the other. It's hard to stay the same. It's impossible to stay at our current level of spirituality, whatever that might be. You're either going to grow and mature or you are going to decline. I'm grateful that the scripture shows us how we can grow old gracefully. And by saying that, I don't mean graceful like a swan or a ballerina. <laughs> Some of us will never get there. <laughs> but we can be full of grace instead of full of ourselves. Scripture holds as an example, I think, two people in the story we're going to look at this morning. They're intriguing to the Christmas story. They're not the most famous. It's not Mary Joseph. It's not the wise men. It's not shepherds. It's, uh, it's not even Herod or John the Baptist. And there's only a few verses really committed to these two people, Simeon and Anna. We don't know a whole lot about them. Luke 2 says that Simeon was a righteous man and very devout. That's his character. That's what we know about him. That's what God chose to reveal about this individual to us. And he is found in the temple. He is full of the Holy Spirit. And he is waiting for the coming of the promised Messiah. Now, legend has it that he was about 113 years of age. We don't know that. Scripture doesn't indicate that. But he was certainly elderly and he had waited long. And the Holy Spirit had informed him in some way that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. The second person in this narrative is Anna. Her story is found in that same passage of Luke 2. And it's suggested that it's possible that Anna and Simeon may not have even known each other up to this point. Though Anna, she was a prophetess, an elderly widow. Scripture does tell us her age. In verse 37 of Luke 2, it says she was uh, 84. 
She had been married for seven years and then remained a widow ever since. She had probably, if she was like Mary and many of the young women, married in her early teens. So from the time she was in her early 20s until she was now 84, she had been a widow. But it also tells us that she did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayer night and day. And she comes along just as Simeon was praising God for this baby Jesus and she then begins to praise God and talking about Jesus as the Messiah. You know, it's a little bit of an odd story from our vantage point and so it kind of captures the imagination. But I think that Simeon and Anna have much to teach us about how to progress gracefully in life at whatever stage we are. The lesson we're going to see is this. You'll watch for it. True happiness and peace are found exclusively in the person of Jesus Christ. That's my thesis. That's what I believe Scripture teaches. And I believe that's a reality. As we pursue life, we find our greatest moments of contentedness when we are seeking His glory in a relationship with Him. Look with me at Luke chapter 2 and let's... uh, Begin here in verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, awaiting for the consolation of Israel. He was looking for. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ or the Messiah. And so he came being led by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all the peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Verse 36, there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phineuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day and came in. In that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us a perspective to understand your desire for us for these coming days. We don't live in easy days. But we can look back at the example of those who have gone before us who have also encountered great difficulties and find that they were faithful to you, that they trusted you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be like that. Lord, that we would seek your salvation and for ourselves and for those that we know and love, those that you bring into our sphere of influence. I pray, Father, that you would use your word to impact us today as a great encouragement in Jesus' name. Simeon says, Lord, now I can die in peace as you have promised me, for I have seen my Savior. 
He is now content with his life. He has reached his pinnacle. He had the honor of witnessing the one that was promised to Israel, God's salvation. The reason this attitude is important is it because it puts all other events and traumas of life into perspective. We need to understand that. If this can be how Simeon feels, knowing that death is approaching and imminent for him, how should we feel when so many of us have so much more ahead of us? Simeon's attitude really stands in stark contrast to so much of what takes place in our culture. And a few years back, McCall's magazine did an article on New Year's resolutions, and they entitled it, 10 Little Health Resolutions with Big Payoffs. I just like the way they do that. They, they know what they're doing. There's just little things you have to do. It's no big deal. You don't have to commit anything big or long-term or expensive. Just these little things, and they'll have a big payoff. You're going to invest a little. You're going to get a lot. We like that idea, don't we? So if I don't have to put much into it, I'll go ahead and read that because I want a lot of benefit. And so it's interesting as they went through their resolutions, health and exercise are important and all that, but the top four are this. And this is according to a Gallup poll. Number one is improve personal finances. And we won't do a show of hands, but how many of you would like to improve your finances this year? Now God's people said, amen. The second most resolve is to quit smoking. The third is to lose weight. I won't ask how many of you want to do that. The fourth is to get more exercise. Now, I think all those are, are pretty good things overall. I think we'd all agree that we'd like to improve our finances if smoking is a problem or perhaps some other addictive behavior to eliminate that from our life would be good. Uh, to lose some weight, probably most of us could do that a little bit or more. And we all need some better exercise. So those are all good things. But it's interesting what they relate to. We've got money, we've got lifestyle, and, and weight issues. But I wouldn't call any of these goals lofty. Maybe you say, you don't, haven't seen my finances. <laughs> you don't know how much weight I have to lose. <laughs> these are not exactly lofty goals. And it's interesting that none of those goals relate to relationships. None of them relate to God or family. And since we have goals that don't relate to relationships, many people find themselves at the end of their goal lonely and discontent because God has created us to relate to him and to relate to one another. Now these, I say, are good pursuits. But where are the goals of pursuing God and knowing him better? Why is it that the resolution seems to deal with all the external matters? Why is the soul unimportant? So I say, well, if exercise is a value for the physical well-being, why should I starve myself spiritually? If contentment is based on externals that slowly wither away, and I'm sorry, it doesn't matter how well you take care of yourself, the body will deteriorate. So aren't we setting ourselves up for great disappointment if we place so much emphasis on those kind of goals? And I want to suggest that Simeon has a better way. He has a way for us to pursue life 
with an upward focus. And number one is to know God. That is best. And that means it transcends circumstances. Because to know him, as Philippians 4 says, Paul says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Paul said, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrections. I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. In other words, I want to know all there is about Christ and I want to experience it with him. Because I want to have an intimate walk and relationship in life together with him. See, it's not about circumstance. It's about who you share the circumstance with. You can be in difficult circumstances and walk through rejoicing because you know God is with you and you're sharing it with godly people. Or you can be in the best of circumstances. The circumstances that the world would say, that's where I want to live with the rich and the famous and all the trappings that go with it. And you can be lonely and discontent because the relationships aren't right. To know God is best. That was the pinnacle of Simeon's life. Lord, I could depart in peace because I have seen your salvation that you've promised. You've seen, I'm sure, the bumper sticker or a little sign that says, no Jesus, no peace. That's N-O. If there is no Jesus, there is no peace. To know him intellectually, K-N-O-W, to know Jesus is to know peace. If you want peace and contentment in your life, you have to come to a point of humility, submitting ourselves to him. His goal, Simeon's goal, was to know God. And with that, he was content forever. See, contentment means knowing the source of life who can help us see beyond life. If you understand the source of life, being God and Christ, who is the creator of all, and you understand that he directs life and eternity, what do we have to fear? As we've talked about in our Sunday school class, every good and perfect gift comes from above. He doesn't withhold any good thing from those that follow him. God desires to delight our soul and our life. It's possible, as a wise writer once said, to climb the ladder of success only to find that it's been leaning against the wrong wall. <laughs> you remember Charles Coulson back in 1972 by the world standard he had achieved the world's success. Uh, he was special counsel to the president of the United States. He had just masterminded the landslide election of Richard Nixon to the presidency. And he writes in his book, Born Again, election night should have been the proudest moment of my life. The president had spoken of great goals, and at long last they seemed within reach. For the first time in years, there was stability in the country. The war in Vietnam was nearly over, and we had won an overwhelming vote of public confidence. What was it that was now unsettling us? Invading our midst, right here in the heart of governmental power. Bring the question closer to home, he writes. What was spoiling inside of me? God in his providence brought Charles Colson together with a young successful executive named Tom Phillips. He was an executive vice president at age 37. Three years later, he was president of his corporation. He had risen to the top through hard work and working nonstop night and day. But Tom Phillips writes that the success came all right, but something was missing. 
I felt a terrible emptiness. Sometimes I would get up in the middle of the night and pace the floors of my bedroom or stare out in the darkness for hours at a time. There was a big hole in my life. I began to read the scriptures looking for answers. Something made me realize I needed a personal relationship with God. Now listen to what he said. All the material things in life are meaningless if a man hasn't discovered what's underneath them. Almost sounds like he was reading Ecclesiastes, doesn't it? The material things of life are fine unless we neglect Christ. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, Ecclesiastes says. Enjoy life, but remember your creator. God has given us good things. We, it's okay to enjoy them, but not at the expense of our relationship with him and with the people that he loves. Douglas Coupland wrote a book, Life Without God. The character in the book goes through difficult relational problems. And he concludes, he says, I'm tired of compromising. He says, here's my secret. I tell you with an openness of heart, I doubt I will ever have again. So I pray you're in a quiet room as you hear these words. My secret is that I need God. My secret is that I need God, that I am sick and can no longer make it alone. I need God to help me give because I am no longer capable of giving. To help me be kind because I am no longer capable of kindness. I need God to help me love because I seem beyond being able to love. That's the honest cry of a hurting heart. Simeon teaches us, I think, what so many people have not learned even people that we consider to be very successful. True happiness and peace does not come from a career, from material wealth. It doesn't even come from good health or from self-mastery. A lot of those books will be sold this week. It doesn't even come from good relationships here unless it's based on the right relationship there. Knowing Christ True happiness comes from having the right relationship. Philippians 4, 7 promises us that as we know Christ and pray, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Having seen Christ, having known him, Simeon is now at peace. Everything else paled in comparison to that moment for him because he understood the consequences, and all that that would lead to. Not just for himself, but for all the world as you read through here. See, the details of the rest of life's resume is unimportant. Paul gives a similar testimony in Philippians 3. For him, he had done everything that he could, achieving success. Everything that he had accomplished as a successful Pharisee, to him was a hill of trash compared to knowing and serving Christ. People want to list many things on their resume. They evaluate themselves on many levels. But this is how life is defined in the final analysis. Have I walked with God faithfully? Have I served him? You see, that defines everything else about me. Our service can take on various forms. Not everybody's going to be a preacher or a full-time missionary or a Christian school teacher. 
There's many other things that God requires and expects of us. It may be a special testimony, a word of encouragement to someone. It may be to work with young children, teens, senior adults. It may be to work with down and out people in a mission or somewhere else. God has a variety of opportunities well suited to each one. It may be words of encouragement written on a card. It might be phone calls or a visit. But let me ask you some questions, and really these relate to your resolutions. What are you doing with your one and only life? It will come to an end. For some it comes very short, for some very long, but we don't really have control of that, do we? What are you doing with it? In the end, will there be regrets? Number two says, who or what am I serving with my life? Are I serving self? Am I serving a career? And you know, they'll hand me a gold watch and a pat on the back and say, thanks for your service, out you go. Am I serving happiness or success? What are you serving? That will determine whether you have a sense of emptiness or a sense of contentment. Whether you feel a sense of wholeness or just a hole that needs to be filled. Do you know God through a personal relationship? Have you come to that point when you have looked to him in humility and said, I know that I need you because I cannot attain heaven in a relationship with you without it. I know that Jesus Christ died to take my sin and my guilt and I confess my guilt before a holy God and I receive his payment for my sin. Have you done that? Have you established that? What are your plans to know him better this coming year? Well, I'm just going to let come what may. I'm going to let fate lead it. Without a plan, there will be little success. Because if you aim at nothing, you will hit it. Simeon said, Lord, now I can die in peace as you promised, for I have seen the Savior. Paul said in Philippians 3, but whatever was my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ. This is what Paul says. What do you say? What is of highest value as you enter this year? What will you seek to attain? What goals will you accomplish? Are they mundane, routine, or are they noble, worthwhile, character and relationship building? I trust those will be the things that define who we are in this coming year. Father, we thank you for the life of Simeon and Anna, they looked for and delighted in finding the Savior. It fulfilled their lives. A defining point. Lord, I pray that we would understand that for ourselves. But to understand that finding you is not the end, but it's walking with you and enjoying you moment by moment and day by day. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to guide our thoughts and our preparations for this coming year. And we'll give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for a moment and let's sing just a...
couple verses of a familiar song as a commitment to the Lord for this coming year.